Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The champ moves to HRT. My dad and my family's always owned Commodores. And my dad's a little bit excited now because he doesn't have to put up with people saying, what are you driving on? A whole pool when your son races for the other side. Reynolds signs with Kelly Racing. It's really good to be back in the main series. And Tom Walkinshaw dies at 64. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Tom Walkinshaw lost his battle with cancer this week. The 64-year-old owner of HRT passing on Monday. Walkinshaw Racing Managing Director Craig Wilson expressed his deepest sympathy on behalf of the factory Holden team. As we all knew, Tom was very passionate about motorsport and he achieved much success as a driver and team owner in his lifetime, said Wilson. Walkinshaw is survived by his wife, Martine, and their two sons, Ryan and Sean. James Courtney has confirmed that he'll be moving to HRT next season, following the announcement earlier this week that he was leaving DJR. The worst-kept secret of the year was revealed last Tuesday, where Santa Claus, a.k.a. Gerald McDornan, introduced the 2011 lineup. And please welcome, in red for the first time, the 2010 V8 Supercar Champion, James Courtney! You know, it's the Ferrari, it's the, uh, you know, it's the top team in V8 supercars. You know, Triple Eight had a good run last couple of years, but I think Garth and I can definitely um, take down Craig and Jamie. I said to the guys, as long as uh, you've got a plenty, a big, big load of turrets, roofs, um, you know, I'll keep jumping on them and destroying them when we win. So um, that's all I'm looking forward to. Garth Tander said he's looking forward to the challenge of having the 2010 champ in the same car. You know, I was been very fortunate all through my career to have very very good teammates and um in 2007 i was a teammate with rick kelly who was the is the reigning champion and um you know we we drove each other really really hard and we had a very successful year that year as well and i don't see uh, any difference here having james come to the team and um you know he's had a fantastic year as he said and um looking forward to working with james and um making sure that hrt is at the front finishing first and second wednesday saw courtney get his first taste of the hrt ve with a test at winton motor raceway dave reynolds has been welcomed back into the main game taking over the number 16 stratco commodore from tony riccadello rick kelly talked about what it meant having reynolds in the stratco car yeah, look, Dave's definitely a guy that's going to be pushing us. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think 
this cat- the category this year, 2010, was uh, was very tough. Um, there was a, you know there was a lot of guys and teams that had made made big, st- big steps up, and um, you know it keeps getting tougher and tougher. And I think Dave's going to be a guy that comes in and um, and helps us step our whole team up and step up the driver, the driving side of things as well. There's there's no doubt about that. I think he was very unlucky in his his first full year in supercars last year, not to win that race at Perth and the qualifying results he got throughout the year, and, and, in, and in particular. At Homebush shows you know the guy's capability and um, you know I think that he'll help us deliver a lot of firsts for our team next year. As when I say first, I mean um, you know first race wins and having all our cars in the ten and stuff like that. I think will be definitely more achievable with Dave on board. Reynolds believes he is better prepared for the stresses and commitment of the main game. Yeah, it's really good to be back in the main series. I've had a year off and I've done the HRT drive um, enduros and that went really really well. But I'm looking to build on my career and this is a vital step for it. Reynolds did 100 laps in testing at Winton on Tuesday. Stone Brothers Racing have released the photos of their new Irwin Tools livery for 2011. The team confident that they can build on the Sydney 500 performance. Nick Pritchard from Irwin Tools said that V8s are a good fit. And the guys that are following the sport are the guys that are using our tools day in and day out. So um, we think it's a really good fit. We, we like the sport. Um, we really like Stone Brothers and we really like Alex. Alex Davison thinks that it's a great fresh start for 2011. The new livery looks great and we really need to hit the reset button at the moment. It's um, We've had a long hard year and it gets harder and harder to sort of come to a new race meeting and feel fresh and motivated and ready to go. So be good to have a few weeks off and and hit the ground running with a new paint scheme. Ross Stone talked about Alex Sue's heading into his third year with the team and why the fresh look is so important. In this business if you do today what you were doing last year it's not good enough so um, we're just going to be changing a few things around and bits and pieces and um, I'm sure we're going to be a stronger team next year. Stone Brothers are all keen to see the strong results with Alex in 2011. V8 racing, any motorsport, is always peaks and troughs. Um, Just so far with our Irwin project and with Alex, the peaks have been a bit far apart and some of the troughs have have, have been quite deep, so we've just got to smooth all that out. But listen, I'm confident that um, it'll be fine. V8 Supercars Television is going into a major reshuffle with the team packing up their home bush offices to relocate to the main seven complex in Sydney. The V8 Supercar board have also announced that they will not be renewing the contract of executive producer Murray Lomax. Lomax had been working with V8 Supercar coverage since 1997 when the series joined Channel 10 and left the network to establish V8 Supercar's television when the coverage moved to the 7 network. Still on television and Tony Cochran has indicated to The Australian that V8 Supercars might be the first major sporting category to move from the main channel to their digital multi-channel following the recent changes in the anti-siphoning laws. Cochrane said that while the current contract states that the V8s must remain on the main channel, with the AFL clashes that have plagued the series, one of the things that will help in the future will be, for example, that we might put some of our heritage events on 7Mate with a replay on the main 7 network later in the day. But Cochrane was adamant that the marquee races like Clipsal, Sydney, Gold Coast and Townsville would not be shifted across from the main station. Bathurst is protected by the anti-siphoning laws.
Still on Tony Cochran, and he's foreshadowed that the series will be 18 events in 2015 and the sport will have six overseas races, with Japan and Singapore at the top of the chairman's hit list. And Stephen Richards has announced that he'll be not pursuing a main game drive in V8 supercars in 2011. Richards was quick to point out that he does not think that is the end of his V8 supercar main game career, but it is on hiatus for next year. And what are you doing between Christmas and New Year? Well, make sure you continue to log on to the V8 Insiders as you do not want to miss this. Hi, I'm Kirsty from the Forex Angels. Get ready for your Christmas present a couple of days late on the V8 Insider. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, Tony Wicklock and Andrew Clark will be along to join me. And we've got plenty to talk about, even at the start of the off-season. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jason Richards. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. As joining us this week from V8X Magazine and P101 Publishing, it's Andrew Clark. Good evening, Andrew. Hey, Craig, how are you? Not too bad. We're, uh, well, winding down the season, but pl- still clearly plenty to talk about. Tony Whitlock from RaceFacts. He uh, is also joining us. And, Tony, we uh, we thought it might be a bit quiet, but this first week, first full week of the off-season is uh, anything but. Well, I think all the things that have been brewing on the pot are now coming to the boil. Well, one thing that no one expected, really, was the death of... Tom Walkinshaw. And uh, Tony, I'm, I'm interested to get your opinion, as I am Andrew's, on what Tom Walkinshaw's well, legacy will be. Funny you should say that, actually, uh, Craig, because I, I actually had known of it for some time. I saw him early this year, and he was half the man that I remember him as. He was a rugby uh, player for Scotland and was uh, had shoulders like uh, capable of knocking trees down. And I was very shocked when I saw him. But I knew that this was not far away. It is a great sadness. I mean, there are, he had many enemies out there because of things he'd done in trying to pursue Arrows Formula One. But he created more than he damaged. He uh, he built so many different race teams under so many different brands. Um, you know, just simple things. Um, the Volvo station wagons. That was uh, a young man called Chris Dyer went to England to learn how to make a a uh, two-litre car in a cage, and uh, he's been at Ferrari for some years, courtesy of Tom and what they created there. Far, far you know, more things that uh, Tom built than uh, ever he destroyed. Andrew? Yeah, I think, I mean, I knew Tom was in a bit of strife because he was due out here uh, about three weeks ago and didn't come. Um, so we kind of knew that uh, that it was getting closer than, than further, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I'm with Tony. Like, you know, I've got mixed emotions about it. I mean, Tom was a pretty um, brutal businessman, 
Um, he knew what he wanted and he knew where he wanted to get to. Um, there's plenty of allegations of you know, whether or not he was a, a great businessman or not. But ultimately, at the bottom of it all, he was a great motor racing man. You know, and, and when you talk about the legacy, I mean, we've got it sitting here in Australia. It's called Holden Racing Team you know, and HSV cars in general. And, you know, things like that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the drive of people like Tom. Um, and as I say, yeah, he made his enemies along the way. And, uh, you know, I did a book with uh, with Mark Scaife earlier this year, and I can assure you Tom Walkinshaw's name came up a few times when we were doing that. You know, but at the end of the day, <coughs> Mark Scaife, no matter what happened in a business sense, has respect for Tom Walkinshaw as a motor racing person. And I think if we sit back and say, you know, what was Tom as a motor racing person, you know, he was he was out there. Um, I remember him, you know, when he brought the Rovers out to Australia and then the Jaguars and, you know, and then, of course, the Holden Racing Team and things. So, you know, for 25 years, even those silk-cut Jaguars when they came out for Sandown. So, yeah, I've got admiration for him. Um, you know, you kind of wish that he'd done some things differently in business, but, uh, you know, we all make mistakes. So, obviously, you both believe that uh, they're going to remember him well. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, uh, as is often the case, that uh, um, the problems they create are certainly uh, water is thrown on them and uh, they uh, sort of dissipate over time. And I'm glad of that because certainly... You know, Tom uh, built an empire and several times over, and he uh, he's worth remembering. Mm-hmm. And he did that twice, by the way. Of, um, you know, he was a very hard racer. Um, I, I probably I don't think I ever really saw him race in uh, in person, but I certainly what seen film. And when he was racing those Rovers and Jags and things, he used to push and shove, and you know, just always walk very close to that line of. Uh, Putting someone in a fence, but never quite. But he was a very hard racer. Yep. That was the rugby side of him. He liked a bit of body contact. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, certainly I, I remember him, and it was always elbows out. It was very hard. Moving off Tom Walkinshaw, but in some ways not. James Courtney confirmed this week he's leaving DJR and moving off to HRT. I was staggered when I heard that. It absolutely blew me away. I had no idea it was coming. It'll be like next week's, won't it, Tony, when uh, Will Davison... Well, actually, it'll be like uh, New Year's Day, Tony, when uh, Will Davison pops up at FPR. Yeah, yeah, and I, um, I imagine that those people down Holden Way who are putting up the money for all this will be hoping that this time round, when they get an ex-DJR driver, that um, he'll have more than just one good year. They certainly uh, stuffed up that very badly with Will. I mean, uh, where one thing might have gone wrong, it just escalated and escalated to the point where nothing went right. Hmm. I think, um, I mean, Holden Racing Team is, uh, it's, I mean, we spoke about Tom Walkinshaw being a pretty brutal man in a sense, but I think Holden Racing Team is too, you know, and I think once you go there, you're either going to perform um, or, or you're, you're going to be very short for this world in, in that team. Um, and, you know, James has it all in front of him to do, you know. He's come in there. I think, you know, he's clearly one of the best drivers in the field, um, you know, whether he's the best driver or leave other people to kind of toss coins and work it out. But at the end of the day, he's right up there. Um, yeah, and now he comes in and he has to perform after making that change. So he's got a, 
change his driving style a little bit. You know, the cars are going to be different. Um, and there's a whole range of things. You know, the relationships he's got. Um, although I think he's taking his engineer with him, so that leaves that part a little bit. But, you know, switching teams is not as easy as people think. Um, and uh, you're coming into a place where Tanda has, has pretty good control over the scenario, over the world. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how James settles into it. And that... uh, my only hope is that, you know, that he doesn't become holdenised and they don't wipe his personality out of him. But that is one of the critical things, isn't it? That uh, it's a, would you even call it a benevolent dictatorship there, Tony, at HRT? Uh, yeah, look, I have a, a running problem with um, HRT, <laughs> um, which involves the manager of the place. Um, I was chuckling about that a few seconds ago when I was thinking about <laughs> about that. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I happen to think that um, James will find a tougher year than, say, Will did in his first year. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, James' second year was better than his first, uh, the opposite of what happened with Will. Mm. Well, I think James is coming from an environment where it was all built around him and it was all friendly and Adrian had been a friend and mentor for a long time with James, you know, going back to Formula 3 times and, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be such a different environment, as, as Andrew did mention, mm. than uh, at HRT where it is antagonistic and the... You know, when uh, you're told to take a card and take a, take a number and sit on the bench for a few minutes, that uh, James won't take that easily. Yeah, we do need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more to talk about right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Race Facts, Tony Whitlock, and from V8X Magazine, where the new edition is, what, one week away, I think you'll find, Andrew Clark. And, uh, guys, talking about James Courtney, he's left DJR to go to HRT. And it looks like now that Stephen Richards has put himself out of the market for a main game drive, that the Moth is certainly firming his favourite to go into the DGAR Jim Beam Racing car and uniting. It's almost like uh, uh, the uniting of the clans for the uh, Ford supporters because you'll have Moffat and Johnson all together in the one homogenous team. Or that's what's being hoped, Andrew. Yeah, it didn't work so well when Seaton went there, but uh, that's another story, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I think two things I look at. I look at it and I say, um, James Courtney's just won the championship with that team. Um, can the combination of James Moffat and Steve Johnson keep it up there? And, and, and I would argue, no, it can't. Um, you know, n- not casting any doubts or whatever over James Moffat's talent, but first year in the main game, I mean, no one's done it before. Um, the best we've had you know, in the last 10, 15 years is is the emergence of Marcus Ambrose. Mm. Um, work, ethic, work ethic, he's going to be, uh, you know, he'll make the grade. But you can't just, you know, pluck out, you know, a V8 supercar champion, um, take away a couple of the key players inside the team, 
um, and expect that it's going to stand up there and fight with the biggest and the best. And I think, sadly, I cannot see DJR um, repeating what it did this year. Tony? There are too many bricks in the wall that have been removed. It'll be shaky and it'll be difficult. One of the things that uh, should be, I think, uh, people aware of is that uh, while um, Spurkholt is taking a, a, a time out and, uh, from the series and just reclaiming the money for the lease on the licence, um, that DJ, I don't think, have the budget to, uh, to really keep on punching above their weight. Um, well, hence the James Moffat decision, given that he's bringing sponsorship. So yeah, yeah, the sad part I, to me is that it's, uh, you know, it, it hasn't come down to who is the best person for the job. It's who uh, is an okay person for the job with a bank balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's a bit disappointing, I think. Yeah, it, it turns that seated DJR into a pay drive, in a sense. And, so yeah. does that mean the Kelly Racing pay drive now has moved to Dick Johnson Racing? Because uh, David Reynolds coming into the... Uh, Kelly Racing team is certainly going to give that 16 car a shot in the arm. Yeah, certainly will, and, and it'll be a major benefit for uh, all four of them um, to, uh, to have such close in-house competition. All right, the second Sydney race, uh, Tony. Do you think it has improved the status of Australian motorsport? Oh, it's lifted its profile a bit more in the biggest city in this country, Um maybe a little bit overseas as well, because certainly people would have seen some fantastic racing over those two days. Did they see fantastic racing, though, Andrew? Because I got back to uh, back to sanity after, uh, after the weekend, and most people said to me it was a bit of a yawn fest. Thank God for the rain on Saturday, and, and uh, really it didn't get exciting until turn eight of the last uh, lap in Sunday. Yeah, I think the Sunday race was pretty boring, but uh, I think you know, you're always going to get that in a situation where you know some bloke's only going to finish in the top fifteen to win the championship, and you know, and off you go. You know, you're not going to have the best racing when that's the scenario. Um, I, I would argue that some street circuits are always going to be tough, especially with the regulations these cars run under. Um, you know, passing's hard and a whole bunch of things. But you know, when it was slightly damp, I think you saw some great racing on the Saturday. Um, and I think, you know, this is my whole argument about V8 supercars, which the drivers um, seem to keep on rejecting because it makes their life harder. But like, you take away the grip and the downforce on those cars, and the racing's sensational. It reminds me, you know, the old days in Perth when the tyres would be chewed up after three or four laps, and it was like they were driving in the rain for 30 laps. That was awesome stuff. These days, you know, you get too much single file. You get too much of, I cannot get out of his slipstream, and I can't do this, and I can't do that because we're all too even. <clears throat> Um, so, you know, the rain always uh, throws their extra elements in. Somebody's willing to take a slightly bigger risk. Someone's willing to, you know, to go onto the slippery bit and out of the tram tracks and, and do whatever. And, um, you know, I think rain will do that. Um, did Sydney enhance the spectacle of V8 supercar racing in Australia? I would argue no. I don't think it made any difference, to tell you the truth. Um, oh, yeah. I know from watching it on telly that the grandstands look pretty empty. Yeah, I disagree with you. I mean, forget, you know, whether Sydney or not, but... This year's racing, there has been. I mean, that race at Surface Paradise between Wind Cup and Van Gisbergen, um, you know, around the world, people have commented on it. Oh, that, there is no doubt at all. If you'd asked me the same question about that, I would have said, without, without a doubt, 100%, that was some of the best racing I've seen in the last 10 years between Wind Cup and Van Gisbergen. You know, they, they were at it hammer and tongs, and it was, we're going to put everything on the line. 
Um, I, we didn't see that in Sydney at any stage. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Holdsworth, I thought, was a, a worthy winner. He's not quite a first up, but he certainly mm. is one winning on a dry track. Um, and, uh, and I thought that uh, he pushed pretty hard and Van Gisbergen went as hard as he could for as long as he could. Yeah. You know, just for lack of 600 mils, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That's, I, I guess that's it, isn't it? It's uh, it's definitely an event, a considerable margin in their crowd figure. Um, when there was rule seven, I thought it was more like 220, 230, but there was rules. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it didn't, it doesn't have a lot of good GA and I could see people going once and going, yeah, I saw the concert and uh, I did this and did that, but I can see more on TV. But this is a basic thing on street circuits. You only have two things that make street circuits attractive. One, the TV is potentially much better than a normal normal road racing track. And the second part is the atmosphere. You don't go to a street track to watch motor racing because you can only see one corner generally. So, you know, let, let's remember that, you know, it's not necessarily the crowd at the track that matters for a street track. It's the crowd on the TV that well, matters. The other thing is the access. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a train station away, and you know, yeah. I'd like to know the figures on how many of that sixty odd each day went by train. I mean, you know, there has to be a substantial number, given that there's no car parking really. Mm. Yeah, you bring it into the heart of the people, you know, at the end of the day, and, that, and that's a great thing, you know, which is a question we're going to tackle a little bit later about the balance of you know, street tracks and uh, overseas and permanent and so forth, you know. Street tracks are great because it brings motor racing to where the people are instead of having to shove it and hide it away in the back blocks because, you know, somebody bought a house nearby and doesn't like the noise after they've bought the house. Okay, well, let's go there now. Tony, is the balance right for Vert Supercars between street, overseas and permanent facilities? Realising this week in the Australian, Tony said he wants 18 rounds and was it six or eight overseas? six overseas, certainly, and, and next year is a real hiccup in their plans with uh, Bahrain falling over and Singapore not getting up, you know, because then they would have had the four at least to uh, move easier to a six, as it is now, they've got two and not easy at all, but um, I mean, I like the street circuits, I think the ones they've got are, are worthwhile and they work quite well, um, you know, we don't have great racetracks apart from Phillip Island and Phillip, um, Phillip Island Bathurst. Um, Sandown's good, um, and I understand there'll be more developments there uh, in the near, near future, maybe even a 500 back there. But, um, you know, for, there's a lot of work to be done on places like Winton and Barbagello to make them that ex- bit extra. Mm, t- uh, sorry, Andrew? Oh, and my, I start out with my favourite topic, which is there's at least one too many permanent facilities, which is Queensland Raceway. But uh, getting into the other parts of it, I mean, I think the overseas rounds are good. I mean, people want to complain about it, but so long as you're not cutting the local rounds, who really cares? I mean, how many people go to every round? And the only people it affects big time are people like Tony and myself who um, pay to get themselves to motor races um, to, to cover them professionally. Everybody else, it doesn't matter diddly squat to, um, except that they all pay good money you know when when the v8 supercars go to abu dhabi or china or bahrain or whatever there's a big fat cash injection into v8 supercars um when they go to singapore in a year or two's time there'll be a big fat cash injection um my only question if you're after six to eight overseas rounds you know we've already got one in the middle east we've got one in new zealand they're talking about one in asia i mean where are the other three well japan going to come from you know japan and singapore are the next two that uh, tony was talking about 
Yeah, well, Singapore I can certainly see coming on board. And, you know, like I don't see why Japan would bother. They've got enough good, uh, you know, car racing formulas of their own. I mean, the places where V8 supercars will be attractive um, are places that don't have an inbuilt um, motor racing infrastructure. So, you know, you're going to take them to places like the Middle East where, you know, they're trying to build a motorsport hub or a tourism hub. You're going to take them to Singapore, which has got facilities but no racing drivers. You know, you're going to take them maybe to somewhere like India where the new Formula One Grand Prix is going in, you know, or to Sochi in Russia or somewhere like that where, you know, they don't have their own built their own national classes. Japan, I don't understand. I don't know who's going to fund that, who's going to pay for that to happen because, you know, they've got so many different classes of racing in Japan that V8 supercars are just, you know, they're going to pay 10 million bucks for that. Mm. And uh, interesting, it'll be uh, interesting to see who's the Shane Warne of the uh, V8 supercar drivers that uh, has to take his own baked beans with him when he goes to the Indian round. Oh, Warne, I was thinking something else you were going to get on there. Four X Angels are on next week. No, the Forex Angels are on in between Christmas and New Year and you can find out who the biggest flirt in V8 supercars is on that show. That's Whitlock, isn't it? Yeah. Ebony Whitlock. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, the shake-up in V8 supercar television. Uh, no, Tony, you have had a long-standing relationship with the guys over at the uh, television truck. What were your well, thoughts? Murray Lomax in particular, yeah. I'm, um, I'm very sad to see uh, Murray uh, has been kneecapped. Um, I uh, I don't really understand it. Um, probably will never get an explanation um, on what's happened there. But uh, there might be somebody who wakes up from um, early New Year and realises that the executive producer was actually doing something. Andrew? Oh, I think V8 Supercars needs a bit of a shake-up. Um, I, I would question... Um, whether they've done the right thing. Um, I think Murray Lomax appears from where I stand to have done a pretty good job on a whole range of issues, but uh, I think that, you know, um, anybody running in that position is always going to have their hands tied behind their back to, to do their job. Um, you know, it'd be great to see some, some better things happening. Like, you know, I mean, I've got some pretty pretty major issues with the way um, the public is presented with our motor racing uh, in that sense, you know, whether it's at the track or on the TV. So, you know, I think if you're going to try to address this situation and say, you know, that V8 Supercars television was the mob creating the vision that goes on Channel 7, like Channel 7 don't do that. So, you know, everybody needs to remember that. It was V8 Supercars television that does it. So you need to sit down and say, you know, do we have the right balance of motor racing people and TV people in this place? Mm. Uh, Tony, you wanted to respond to some of those comments? No, 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 I, I can't really. Okay. I guess one big thing is V8 Supercars is, uh, television is currently packing up at Homebush as we speak to make the move into this Channel 7 headquarters. And I'm wondering, not knowing this, uh, not knowing this and certainly wouldn't have the mail that Tony has on it, but uh, uh, I'm wondering if it's partly because they want a 7 executive producer coming in um, to try and integrate it further because uh, it has been the poor cousin to football, as you would expect. Yeah, well, it's certainly in terms of the hours of, um, of sport that's put to air, you know, AFL plays a major part in AFL's life, in Channel 7's life, um, as compared with V8s. And look, you know, um, for all the criticisms, I, it's only been the last year and a half or so that I've actually sat down and watched more motorsport um, because I now have digital TV and things like that and you know 
there are a lot of people who are critical of the pictures and the story that goes to air here. But when you sit down and look at what is done in various other motorsport around the world, whether that be in DTM or British touring cars or world touring cars, IndyCar, Brazilian uh, V8s, um, the stuff that's produced in this country is of a bloody high standard and is far more interesting and, and involving than what produced and, and sold elsewhere. I mean, even Formula One, to a large degree, is crap television. It's only the fact that it's got the, the luster of Formula One because as far as telling a story, they do a shit-ass job. <laughs> I can't... And I think, to me, that's the problem with having too many TV people running it, you know, that they don't understand the sport, they don't understand how to sniff out what's going on. And, uh, you know, I look at, like, the NASCAR coverage that comes in on, on one, and, you know, I can, the actual racing footage they run is just absolute crap. You wouldn't know what was going on at all, but they do a really good job with people, you know, and that's the thing is that, like, it's... Um, and I've always said it, motorsport is an information sport. The more you know, the more you love it. Um, and you've got to have people um, who can continuously feed good information um, across the board. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, we need to take a break because Gas and Go is... Uh, we've, we've run out of time in this segment. So we'll take a break and then we'll be back with Gas and Go right after this. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Our white flag lap this week, we have uh, Tony Whitlock and also Andrew Clark. And guys, uh, we've run a bit over time, but I do need to ask you on the white flag lap about 28 cars in 2011. Is this going to be good or bad for the sport, Tony? It's fantastic. Because what it means is just a few more dollars go to the 28 cars left. Our grid's no poorer for having one less car. Well, it's no less, no worse off for having one more, one less dud car. You know, at the end of the day, if your 29th car in the field can barely make the grade, then you're better off getting rid of it. And um, the other beauty of it, to me, is that Lisa grid's even now. <laughs> and they've got an extra room in the hauler so they can take another uh, safety car or something like that when they have to go overseas. Guys, Gas and Go is brought to you by V8X Magazine. The new edition comes on sale next week and it'll wrap up the 2010 championship season. Five questions, three minutes. First, to Tony Whitlock, did the changes in the Fujitsu series this year improve the series? Yeah, geez, what were the changes? Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll... Call me on the hop there. The tyre rule, the uh, uh, trying to make it a bit more fan-friendly, I guess. I, I think they were inconsequential, really. I mean, the, the big change that's coming is having to go to Barbagallo for the teams, and that's a, a real big ask. I mean, there's a few teams who are just existing. Suddenly we're getting freight bills that are much, much larger. You know, it, it's going to make it hard. Andrew? Uh, I'm going to save some of my time and just say no. Okay, is Paul Morris Motorsport finally a chance... Sorry, I'll do that again. Is Paul Morris Motorsport the final chance for Steve Owen to make it into the main game? 
Oh, clearly, yes. I mean, uh, you know, he's been uh, there for a while. He's, uh, we all know his talent as a driver. Um, the question is, does he have any star potential? And uh, this is this is the chance to show it. And if he doesn't make it here, then uh, yeah, he'll very quickly end up uh, end up in the ranks of endurance drivers forever. Tony. Yeah, no, he'll do it. He'll do it. He's got it on board. He's he's learned a lot of lessons and learned how hungry it is away from the main game. All right, another second chance man is David Reynolds in a Kelly car. What what chance does he have to turn around the Stratco car's fortunes? I think enormous. I think it, it'll be a real making of both him and also of Kelly's. Okay, Andrew. Oh, I think it's a good pickup for them, and I think the other part of it is that uh, you know the Kellys have clearly got to fund that fourth car properly to make sure that it works okay. And I think that uh, you know they're getting their corporate structures right to make sure that they've got the funding in there. Um, they've now been around for a couple of years, so they've got you know good cars now to call on to throw at this one. So yeah, I think they'll both do well, and I think uh, I'm, I'm with Tony. I think that you know, having four good cars in one team is going to be an advantage. Mm. And the big thing is he's using the car Rick was using this year so it's a, a, a newer car than what they were able to campaign and he's already done a hundred laps in it and seemed quite happy yeah no, he'll be good will will courtney be a will james courtney be a better champion for the sport than if jamie winkup had won his third title yeah i'll go for that one um yeah james courtney is the modern day paul radisich he is one of the most professional drivers Always presents himself well, always has a good answer. Not a smart ass, doesn't need to answer every question as some ex drivers need to. Uh, I think he's an absolute asset. Not that uh, Jamie not winning it, but Courtney uh, adds a different, different line, different luster, and certainly is very professional. I thought what he did at the end of the year from Bathurst on was just remarkable how he really looked like the uh, mortar in the Jim Beam Racing team, Andrew? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think uh, I think James Courtney is a class act and, you know, I, um, I hadn't thought about him as the modern-day Paul Radisich, but I think that's a great um, simile to throw up there is that, you know, he is he has retained his personality through it all. He has answers that aren't just, you know, prescribed, uh, boring things that are given to him by a PR person or just infer that, you know, I really couldn't be bothered standing here answering your questions. Um, and Jamie Wincup has been like that at times. I'm not saying he's like that all the time. But they're different personalities. Wincup is a very intense um, person who concentrates a lot on his motor racing and a lot on all of the other aspects of it. Um, Courtney, while he still concentrates on things, he has a different way of showing it. And it's probably like you know, the similarity or the dissimilarities, dissimilar parts of you know, Lowndes and Wincup. You know, they're both competitors, but they deal with the world in a different way. Um, I reckon Courtney's going to be a great champion. Um, big, and, and I say that he would be a better champion than having Win Cup for a third time because it's another new champion, and that's always good. Mm. All right, then, Andrew. Uh, interesting, some of those comments, because they might relate to the next two drivers, so I'm not sure. But who is the bigger disappointment not to have on the grid next year, Greg Murphy or Stephen Richards? Oh, I mean, I'm, you know, I think both of them are a bit of a loss to the sport, but uh, I'm also a big fan of... You know, we need to move on and make sure we get fresh talent in. So, you know, I'm kind of at mixed emotions on this front. I think both of them have been around for a while. Um, I mean, I like both of them a lot as people. Um, Greg Murphy's always got a great, great line to give you, whether he's having a good day or a bad day, and he's uh, he's refreshingly and bluntly honest most of the time. Not all the time, by the way. Um, 
But, you know, I think it's a pity not to have him there. It's certainly going to hurt the sport in terms of its New Zealand fan base. Um, and Richo's just seriously one of the nicest guys in the sport. So, you know, to, to not have him there as well is, 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 is not great either. But, uh, you know, it's interesting the two of them shared a Bathurst win together and they, uh, they both bow out to endurance drives together. Mm. And, of course, Tony, you could see the passion was still there for Stephen Richards. You just had to look at uh, what went on after qualifying at Simmons Plains. Yes, indeed. Um, interestingly, the, the two guys who are coming into the series or back in the series in Reynolds and Owen, Stevie Owen, that is, um, are both guys who are very capable of putting it in the top ten. And uh, it's going to be very hard for the likes of uh, Steve Johnson and James Moffat, for instance, who put you know, Dick Johnson's up there, or helped rather, um, Stevie's case, um, but uh, the, the additions of the Owens and Reynolds coming in, at the expense maybe of Murphy and Steve Richards, they're guys who are punching in well and truly above their weight. They're going to come in and they're going to be putting the cars in the top ten and top dozen. Well, guys, that's Gas and Go for another week, and that's the show for another week. Andrew and Tony, I hope you have great Christmas and Happy New Year and look forward to catching up with you in the, uh, what is it, three weeks before the uh, official opening of the V8 Supercar season at uh, Eastern Creek? Yeah, something like that. Pretty close, but the uh, end of January, so, yeah, hopefully everybody has a good and safe one. Thanks very much, Tony. My pleasure, Craig. That's the V8 Insiders for another week as the checker flag waves over this edition. Keep, uh, as the checker flag waves over this edition, until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.